Hi, and thanks for hitting the snooze button. My name's Neil Headley. I figured that my lifelong battle with insomnia had a lot to do with my job and waking up for morning television and radio for the past 30-plus years. But I did some digging and discovered that I had a ton more to learn. So in this series, we try to fix your sleep by figuring out why mine is so horribly broken, and maybe we can stumble upon some answers together. So forget everything you've heard me say on the show about sleep trackers, because this episode is a game-changer. Before we get to that, though, Let me remind you that this episode coming out Monday, September the 21st, the 22nd is World Narcolepsy Day. And we were quite fortunate a couple of months ago to have quite possibly the best spokesperson that narcolepsy could ever have asked for. It's probably why the episode about narcolepsy with Julie Flygar is the single most popular episode of the Snooze Button podcast that we've ever done. I'm going to put a link in the show notes and on our website to that episode. But believe me when I tell you that everything you need to know and a bunch of stuff that you didn't know about narcolepsy is contained in that episode. Everything. So now back to this week's episode. My friend, Dr. Seema Kosla, is the medical director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep. She's board certified in internal medicine, pulmonary disease, critical care medicine, and sleep medicine. And yes, she's also the host of Talking Sleep, a brand new podcast from that same American Academy of Sleep Medicine, and also is connected to the Consumer and Clinical Technology Committee with the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. So a lot of unpacking to do here as we talk about sleep trackers. We are going to upend a bunch of what's been talked about on the show before and send my plans for tracking my sleep back to the drawing board. But here, without any further ado, Dr. Seema Kosla. All right, Seema, uh, with this, your second appearance on the show, I guess that officially makes you a snooze button veteran. So you're not at that Michael Grandner, oh, he's back again level yet. So let's keep you giving you for now the same question that everybody gets when they come on the show. How'd you sleep last night? I slept terrific last night. Terrific. I went to bed early. It was wonderful. Okay, wait a minute. What's, so what's early? So you're going to laugh. <laughs> so I have, I have kids that stay up later than I do. So I was in my jammies under the covers at like 9.30 last night. 9.30. Oh, I remember 9.30 so fondly. Yeah, but you see, you're in a barrency though. You get up early routinely. And I, so last week I had a seven o'clock call with people from Australia. And of course it was a Zoom call, such as everything these days. And um, my friend who was on the call and had arranged this call, he's on Eastern time. And he's laughing at me because I told him, I'm like, I'm just going to be my jammies. <laughs> like, just don't let on. I'm, I'll comb my hair and everything, but I'm going to be my jammies. And I was. And it was fine. And I, I have to say, I'm, I'm really kind of digging that part of pandemic where you can just kind of roll out of bed and brush your hair and brush your teeth and wash your face and hop on a call. I'm tempted um, to, like, I don't have any reason to participate in Zoom calls with anybody, but I want to start doing some because I want to wear some, like, really obnoxious footy pajamas or something just for the sake of being able to do it. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, but you won't see the footy, right? You have to have something up top. Like, remember when Walmart said that they were selling way more tops than bottoms? Yes. 
So you just have to have something. In fact, I just got off a Zoom call and um, I got a call afterwards where this person I was on the call with started laughing. And she's like, you know, your shirt is the same as your skin color. So when you popped on, I thought you were naked. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay, then. Well, that would make for a very different Zoom call experience. Um, Well, there's, There's no good comeback to that. No, there's not. No, of course not. Um, listen, I, I've been itching to talk to you for a while because, um, of course, the first time we had you on the show was, I don't know, it was like four or five months ago uh, and, and you were such a hit. Um, and we'll talk about your podcast and stuff and we'll get to all that in a little bit too. But um, you and I have been sort of in regular touch for the last while. And yesterday there was a ring at my doorbell. And I go and I, you know, make sure that the uh, UPS driver has gotten a safe distance away so that I'm not freaked out by them. They're not freaked out by me. Everybody happy. Nobody sad. And it is essentially a care package from my friend Seema, who knows that I have been uh, struggling with figuring out trackers and things like that. And I think I've done of the whatever it is, 47 or 48 episodes there are of the snooze button. I think I've talked about trackers in about 30 of them. And you and I have had a billion conversations about trackers. And so it looks like you went into for a sleep doctor what is the equivalent of your junk drawer uh, and emptied it out and shoved it in a box and sent it to me. Was was there a camera on me? That's almost exactly, except it wasn't a junk drawer. It was selectively dispersed throughout my home. Yeah, no, I don't, and I don't, and by the way, I don't mean junk drawer as a pejorative either. I'm, I'm just, oh, no, I don't. from the, from the point of, I opened this box and there's stuff. And then under the stuff, there was more stuff. And under the stuff, there was more stuff. And I, my wife and I are looking at each other going, when does this end? Um, Isn't that cool? So, okay, let's, let's get into the what's in the box. I want to save what you know is going to be sort of the star of the show for this conversation. I want to save that until last. And I want to talk about the other smaller things that are in the box. For example, these, and, and, uh, you know, you having these things indicates to me that on some level you've tried them out or you're aware of what they do or any of those things. So if you're okay with it, I'm, I'm just going to start picking your brain on these things. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yes. Talk to me about these glasses. What are these? Aren't they cool? They are, they're blue light glasses. They're called IO glasses, A-Y-O, and it means happy. So these were sent to me, maybe, I don't know, earlier this year, I think. So every year, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine puts on this course. And as part of this course, you get to do this like hands-on session. And so it's geared towards sleep uh, clinicians, right? So physicians and RTs and that sort of thing. And the idea is that we teach our colleagues about cool new sleep things without any sort of industry people there. So it's not salesy. Right. So we learn about it and then we teach our colleagues. So I had two different pairs of these glasses and of course, you know, I'm playing with them. Right. And I had an alarm clock that was, you know, beautiful light in the morning and I'm walking around the hotel and these glasses, you know, if you open them up, you can see you put them on and they look like that guy from Star Trek from a long time ago. That is exactly what I said to my wife. She tried them on last night and I said, oh my gosh, you're LeVar Burton's character, Jordy LaForge. That's he had, that is, yes. He had that visor on because his character, not to go too far down a tributary, but in case you have no idea what we're talking about, on Star Trek The Next Generation, LeVar Burton, who of course you remember from Roots, um, plays 
the engineer. He's the next generation equivalent of Scotty, but he's blind since birth and he has this visor that allows light to sort of be piped into his cerebral cortex so that he can kind of see by making out energy patterns and light images and stuff like that. Anyway, back so to you. So I'm wandering through the hotel up and down the elevators wearing these things and I cannot tell you how many people gave me these really strange looks. They wouldn't go anywhere near me. <laughs> they looked at me with these blue light glasses and it was probably the most common selfie taken at that conference. Because it, you can see the blue light. So this thing shines light from above and it shines blue light into your eyes. And so the idea is that we are trying to manipulate our circadian rhythm and really optimize it. So blue light right away in the morning. And that sort of resets our clock so that we know that in the evening then our brain is going to be ready for sleep. So, of course, as happens with every sort of convention, right, I, I have the stuff shipped and the people at the ASM are really good about arranging for all the stuff to get drop shipped there. So I don't have to, you know, shove it in my suitcase. Mm-hmm. And I'm setting up before my, my session, which is in the morning. And so of course I'm making sure everything works and I'm turning on all these lights and I'm wearing these glasses and I'm charging everything up. And you know what happened? I couldn't sleep that night. <gasps> I completely delayed my own sleep phase. And then I'm sure because you were so busy playing with your new glasses. Well, and, and, you know, you have to get up early for these conferences and I naturally have this sort of, you know, I'm kind of a night owl. So I have this delayed sleep phase tendency. And meanwhile, in my prime sort of melatonin releasing time frame, I'm shining this blue light into my eyes because I'm trying to make sure everything works, right? Because I want it to be really well done for my colleagues. And so I wind up shooting myself in the foot because I can't sleep that night. So... Yep. So I, I'm a firm believer that light is real. So if you actually utilize it the way you're supposed to utilize it, you'll have to download an app. And these glasses are really kind of cool because you operate them through an app. And so then you input all of your information so you can't do it wrong like I did. <laughs> and so it lets you set like a window of when you want the lights to be active. And, and what's cool about this as opposed to a light box is you can get up and do whatever you want to except drive. Sure, because you're wearing glasses. Um, Okay, so for a person like me who gets up in the dark and and as uh, many people will tell you, it appears often that I've dressed in the dark. um, When would I use these? Would I use them for the first while when I'm waking up or how does that work? Typically right away in the morning. Really? Mm -hmm, Because you really want to tell your body that this is the time to be awake. But it's kind of cool because you do have to, it's a little bit more nuanced because it, it relies, you know, if you really want to get into the weeds, you know, you could start like getting your salivary melatonin levels checked and you can measure your body temperature and that sort of thing. But general rule of thumb is, you know, you want to tell your brain in the morning that this is wake time and then it's really important not to utilize them late. Okay, so this is a this is something that I use in the morning with the knowledge that it's going to help reset my rhythms and will hopefully help me fall asleep when yes. sleep time actually comes. And so have you seen those pictures of athletes on airplanes and they're wearing these glasses? Yeah, I actually have now that I think about it. Isn't that cool? Because they're trying to set their circadian rhythm to match wherever they're going. Right. Right. Which is kind of cool. And then these glasses also have this sort of energy. I forget what is themed, but basically they they think that it helps you be feel more energized. 
And so then you can kind of use them on demand for that purpose, but again, not close to bed. Right. And it also says on the packaging, it says something along the lines of it. It helps with uh, not only mood, but it also helps with uh, seasonal affective disorder. Mm, That's on the list of things, boxes that it says it checks. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to experimenting with these. And it's funny, as a sidebar... Um, if you are a baseball fan and um, you hear Seema talking about athletes wearing them to go to wherever they're traveling to, I would recommend, and I'll put it on our website and in the show notes as well, there's an episode we did with Ravi Alada from Northwestern University where he studied, literally studied 40 years of Major League Baseball statistics and found that there is a statistical correlation between jet lag and on-field performance, and it is in one specific baseball statistic it is and the science is is ironclad on this and the only thing you can really attribute it to once you've looked at all the data is jet lag and it's fascinating but we talk about it in that episode it's from last summer when we used to still get together and go to sports events but it is it is a pretty cool study that that ravi talks about um okay so now i know how to play with these glasses that's going to be fun um because i've often thought about the people that wake up in the middle of the night whether it's just regular shift workers going to plants or whatever or if it's the baristas that are getting up in the middle of the night or the people that have to be on radio and television or police officers or all those kinds of things where there are tons of people who get up in the dark to do their jobs. And if something like this can sort of help them reset and perform better, that's that's worth digging into a little bit. And then and, and of course, it's not a standalone, right? Because then you have to incorporate consistent sleep-wake cycle and, you know, you have to maintain that same rhythm as much as you can, which is challenging. If you are a true night shift worker and you're on one week off one week and you actually want to like hang out with your friends and see the sunlight, <laughs> it's really hard to maintain that. And, and so that's the second part of the equation that sure, the glasses are great, but you still have to adhere to the other tenets of proper sleep hygiene. Yeah, I hope I hope that none of these things are pushed out to market as this is the one thing you need and it will fix everything. But by virtue of you having sent it to me, I, I have a pretty strong sense that, um, you know, all of these things have been sort of to some degree road tested. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And we'll have some fun playing with those. Um, talk to me about this. What looks like um, a postage stamp that I'm going to stick to my forehead. So this is it's called better. And it is, it is kind of like a postage stamp. It's like a little rectangular gizmo that you stick to your forehead. And you'll see that there's a lot of adhesive strips in there. So the intent is that you can monitor yourself over time. And it has a little oximeter in it that has actually been FDA cleared for oximetry. So they've compared it to the robustness of a hospital type of oximeter. And so they feel very confident in the ability of this device to pick up what your oxygen level is and if it's maybe dipping down at night, which is, you know, we think that, you know, this may be a good way to screen for obstructive sleep apnea. It's interesting that you're bringing up an oximeter because this last couple of days, as you and I are sitting to have this conversation, uh, I, I would say maybe the last... 72 hours. The internet has been going crazy because of the new Apple Watch, mm -hmm. which has uh, oximetry with it. And people are talking about what a groundbreaking thing this is for uh, a smartwatch and all that. And I'm looking back and I'm going, well, wait a minute, when I got my Fitbit, my exactly. Versa 2, that's got 
oximetry in it, doesn't it? Doesn't that tell me my my uh, my my blood oxygen levels as well? Why is everybody? Do you know why everybody's making such a big deal out of the Apple one and compared to Fitbit and talking about it like it's so groundbreaking? Well, you know what I think is really interesting is that they've had this ability for years and they just haven't turned it on. Yeah. So after the consumer, honestly, so after the consumer electronics show, and I don't know if this was just coincidental or not, but Fitbit turned theirs on. And then all of a sudden we start seeing these, you know, cause I love looking at this stuff in clinic, right? So people are forever showing me their smartphone and we're looking at the data and all this stuff. All of a sudden you start seeing these um, oximetry readings and I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> But yeah, there has been a lot of hoopla about about the Apple one. And so I don't know if it, it if it has some other claim to fame, but um, or if it's marketing or if it's because now this is maybe they're setting this new level of what we should expect out of our, our smartwatches. I don't know. But it's interesting. it's interesting. And the way that they track sleep on the Apple Watch, I think, is really interesting because they are. I think they've shifted away from the other trackers that have been trying to talk about the different sleep stages, right? And, and differentiate between state, you know, light sleep and deep sleep. Whereas I think this one is not as granular. It's more focusing on, well, are you awake or are you, are you sleep? And I wonder if we'll get less orthosomnia because of that. Yeah, because there are people like me who are obsessing over, uh, you know, my my N1 versus my N3 versus, you know, and and, and that's in it, for a number of people that becomes unhealthy. I mean, my interpretation of everything to do with sleep stages uh, ever since Michael Grandner and I chatted on last week's episode has kind of been thrown into a Yahtzee cup this week because Michael put forward this idea that – sleep stages as we know them right now were somebody arbitrarily applied numbers to sleep patterns 50 years ago and ever since then we've kind of been glued to these numbers when in fact our technology our understanding all these things have potentially evolved so much that maybe that 50 year old standard is completely irrelevant now plus you put that together in that same episode with Laura Boyarskaita from the University of Oslo, who's been doing all this research into the glymphatic system. And she says, you know, it's not just deep sleep. REM sleep actually is where a lot of the activity in the glymphatic system happens as well. She refers to it as brainwashing. Um, it, that term has sort of an unfortunate connotation in North America. Um, but she talks about how, you know, deep sleep and three sleep is not the holy grail of, of sleep stages. Well, and it's funny because at the plenary session at APSS this year, they also talked about Alzheimer's and the glymphatic system. And they they offered, you know, different ways of looking at it that really kind of made you think. So one of the um, so everything has been virtual. Right. And so our our sleep meeting was virtual. And so this year I could attend the plenary um, which is usually kind of a, a very science heavy topic. And it's the first one of the, that sort of kicks off the whole meeting. So I could watch it at home in my jammies in bed and, and I was watching it. And then when it got really sort of complicated, I could pause it and I could rewind it. And then I was like, hang on, what? <laughs> I could yeah. really kind of understand it better, which was kind of a nice thing. Um, but yeah, there, I think it's just, it's amazing how things are changing. I mean, to, you know, Dr. Gradner's point, we used to differentiate between stage three and stage four when I was a fellow. 
and I would agonize over it, you know, well, how many, you know, how much, how many Delta waves do you need? And I would count it out. And I'm like, is this three? Is it four? Is it three? Is it four? And then they lumped them together. And at first I was like, hang on, what do you mean you're lumping them together? I like <laughs> agonized over this for years, right? <laughs> and then it's like when I had an actual like grown up job, I was like, oh, I totally get it. This makes way more sense. <laughs> so, you know, I do think he's right. I think we do have to evolve and be receptive. Like, okay, we have people in the sleep lab for eight hours, give or take, right? And we collect a ton of information. We look at their brain waves and their breathing pattern and we do an EKG and, you know, we look at their legs and, and their, you know, all this stuff. So why don't we reach out to our colleagues and say, well, you know what, if you had access to your patient for eight hours, what other information would you want? Right? Like, is it helpful to know glucose levels all night? Is it helpful to know cortisol? Is it helpful to measure testosterone? What about your thyroid? You know, what about blood pressure? What else can we get out of this information? And what else can we build into a consumer device? Like you talk about they had an oximeter built into Fitbits and they just didn't turn it on forever. I wonder how many of those other things can be detected with something that you wear. I don't know. And at least that's my understanding based on conversations I've had with different, you know, people, sort of industry people that they've had that technology for a while. Yeah. I remember hearing right. the same thing about the Fitbits that they yeah. were, they were capable of it forever. And even when they decided to turn that feature on, that rolled out very slowly uh, that, that you could get your, um, your oximetry data in there. Now, the other thing, the, the other big thing in the box, let's talk about this. Dream to headband. Ooh, yes. Yeah, yeah, this was like Christmas. Um, so one of the knocks, let me let me preface it with this. One of the knocks against whether it's a Fitbit, an Apple Watch, one of those ridiculous phone apps that you sit on your nightstand or your mattress or whatever, one of the knocks against them is because they didn't do any brainwave measurement that particularly their their measurements of sleep stages and things like that weren't dependable at all because they were taking a shot in the dark because the only way you can really take an educated guess at sleep stages is with brainwave information. So this is where the dream people come in. And the reason that this particular device piqued my curiosity, and Seema, you know that the entire point of the snooze button you know, the, the, the entire thing got its start as a book where I am going to go through the various things that are out there that are commercially available to people, whether they're devices, whether they're supplements, whether they're whatever they are, whether they're techniques. I'm going to try a bunch of different things out for two weeks at a time and see what kind of difference they made in my sleep. And when I first started this, I was of the opinion that, you know what, the measurements I'm going to get back from my Fitbit are good enough. And I even talked to Connor Heenahan, uh, Dr. Connor Heenahan, who is the sleep specialist that came up with their sleep score. And he and I talked for an hour one day about the he's numbers great, and how they come up. He? he is. He's great. I really like him. The more I talk to people like you and like Michael Grandner and a ton of other people, the more I started to see that the sleep community 
doesn't look at those numbers as being all that dependable. And I'm not going to put you on the spot and say, hey, either agree or disagree. It, it just became apparent to me that there are tons of sleep doctors who were like, yeah, yeah, Fitbit data. That's great. Whatever. Uh, and so the search began for what am I going to use to give me better data than I can get from a Fitbit. And that's when I started having conversations with multiple people, including you, about these headbands. What can you tell me about this thing? So it is pretty cool, isn't it? It is. So I, the first time I heard about it was at a workshop between the research sleep people and the clinical sleep people a few years ago. And this company came and they presented and they showed their data and their EEG that they got from this device. is beautiful, beautiful EEG. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And, and then they have this ability, which this particular one doesn't, it doesn't have the ability to do it in the US. But when you read about it, they would talk about how it would put out this, this tone that was supposed to really enhance your slow wave sleep or your, your Delta sleep. Um, and so of course, you know, I, I like you can, it's not, it's not a big stretch, right. To figure out that I'm kind of a gadget girl. And so <laughs> right, as I'm sending you these, you know, like, Oh, well, I think I got one out of my office in Fargo and one's up in my bedroom and one's over here on the side that I've kind of forgotten about. Uh-huh, <laughs> like, uh-huh. okay, let me grab all this stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a cool thing. So for me, I thought it was when I first started using it, it was challenging to put that thing on my head and fall asleep, you know, cause I had to sleep on my back and I tend to not be a back sleeper. Right. And, um, but it took a little while and I got used to it and it was interesting to sort of see what it showed. And then I had to, you know, this is, and I had to follow the advice that I give my patients, right. That, okay, well in the morning you need to decide how you feel based on how you feel, not on how Fitbit tells you, you feel. Right. Right. Not on Fitbit tells you how you slept. And it's the same thing with the dream headband. So then I would have to sit there and I'm like, okay, well, I know it took me longer to fall asleep because I'm trying not to think about this thing on my head. (laughs) 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 Right. But it was very cool. And I think like, just imagine, right? Like if we have this technology, how, how else can we use it? Right. Like, can we start doing sleep studies in the home? Right. So, so let me tell you about my experience with this. So I pulled it out of the box yesterday and couldn't wait to try it out last night. Um, and a few things about this that I've noticed, and, and this will be the, the, and until someone suggests otherwise, this will be the go-to that I will now use to track my sleep for the duration of the, of the book project. Um, it, it was remarkably light. I was good with that. So I, there were moments where I completely forgot that I was even wearing it because it was that comfortable. Um, the dumb thing I did was because I had this thing on my head and I guess I was distracted by the occasional sensation of having a thing on my head. I went to bed with my glasses on. Because, and, and I didn't even notice. And so I was having a, a heck of a time falling asleep last night because I couldn't get comfortable. And they, I realized a couple of hours in, I'm like, oh, because you're an idiot and you left your glasses on. Who does that? So then I took them off and apparently I fell right asleep right after that. Um, I was able. I have to know. I used to wear glasses. How does that even happen? (laughs) I don't even know. I have no idea. There's so many things broken about me, Seema. I don't even know. (laughs) Um, So what I found, and I don't know if this is verboten in dream headband world, I slept on my side for chunks of the night. 
And there was even a moment where I slept on my stomach. The, the headband didn't come off. The app that comes, that you download to pair with the headband, one of the things I love about this, I, I click on the stages link that's in the app and it shows a tiny little kneel icon um, and it shows me here I am lying on my back, here I am lying on my left side, here I am lying on my right side. My Fitbit never knows that. But my isn't Fitbit, that cool? Yeah, it shows And your better me, will do that too. Your better will tell you what position you're which in. Which side I'm on, really? Yeah, because it has that ability because, you know, it kind of turns into at least, okay, hang on, I might be misspeaking. I might be remembering a different one. But when you look at how it got FDA um, clearance, you had to kind of justify why you think on the forehead is okay versus the finger, right? But then, and then you also have to decide, well, what position is important? Is it like where your head is or like your chest is or your arm is, right? In terms of sleep apnea. And it kind of makes more sense to have it on your head and, and for that reason. Sure. But yeah, it's, it is kind of cool, right? And, and so I also have to probably preface, and this is something my brother has made fun of me for, for like the duration of my life is I have a small head. So like out of the two sets of glasses that I demoed, one I couldn't even wear because it would just fall off my head. <laughs> so so you, the dream headband probably did fit your head better. You know, my head okay. probably was too small. Okay. Here's, here's what else I like about what it showed me this morning um, is, so it's telling me my average heart rate while I was asleep, which last night seems particularly high to me, but we'll, f I'll figure that out later. Um, it tells me my breathing, not in terms of my oximetry, but it tells me I, I took 12 breaths an hour, which is interesting. Um, uh, not 12 breaths an hour, sorry, 12 breaths a minute. A minute yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so that gives me a sense of, okay, I, so I know what my breathing was like. It tells me that I moved 22 times over the course of the night, which for a person who was diagnosed with periodic limb movement disorder and had a periodic limb movement index of 82, uh, finding out that it was 22 over the course of a whole night, I'm good with that. Mm -hmm. uh, it tells me about my sleep duration, my, my positioning, like all of these different things. I'm I'm kind of a fan of the data that I got back from this. It's and if you if you could see the raw data, I mean, I tell it was beautiful. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So I get to. I mean, the interesting thing with the dream that I'm I'm gonna check out, and I have to actually I have to talk to the dream people about this because if I'm gonna use it as a tracker, I need to disable what's going to be the next part of it, which is they put you through sort of a seven night getting to know you phase right. uh, and it tracks your sleep for seven nights and then it comes up with specific recommendations and coaching and all of these different things um, that it is going to recommend for you to fix your sleep. Well, I don't want to do that yet. Because, you know, I want to spend a couple of weeks with uh, green tea and I want to spend a couple of green, uh, couple of weeks with a melatonin supplement. And I want to spend a couple of weeks with this, that and the other. I want to spend a couple of weeks exercising two hours before bed to see what that, all these different things I want to try. So I don't want to get to the coaching yet, but that's the other thing that I wanted to ask you about with this thing. Apparently, CBTI is built into this. It's and I was speaking with a guy from Dream, and they have phenomenal engagement with this thing. So normally, when you release something to employees or whatever for insomnia, I think you usually get about ten percent, ten twelve percent engagement. They had like seventy eighty percent engagement. It was just unbelievable. And I don't know. So 
one of the theories with like tobacco cessation is if you give people free gum and free patches, nobody ever quits, right? Because they don't have any skin in the game. But if you make them buy the patches, there's this financial incentive to follow through. So sure. is there that financial incentive because you've spent like three or $400 on a headband that you're going to do what it tells you to do? I don't know. That's interesting. Um, and but and let impressive me- Impressive engagement. Yeah, that is impressive. And and I, I was even talking to my wife about this this afternoon. I said to her, you know, there's a CBTI program that comes with it that I'm really interested in trying, but I'm not going to try it. And she looks at me and she says, okay, you're officially an idiot. You've got potentially the answer to your sleep problem sitting in a cardboard box at home and you're not going to use it. And she says, why are you not going to try it yet? I said, because I need to write the book. I need to figure out all of these other things. Like we talk about you getting all of these devices shown to you at a, you know, a not salesy kind of environment without naming anything specific. Has anybody ever presented something in that environment, in that scenario where you've looked at it and you've gone, you're kidding me, right? This is absolute crap. How are you going to try to sell this to people? Does that ever happen? Huh. I think that those ones just don't past that first level. So when we, when we try to come up with what we want to demonstrate for our colleagues, we decide what we want to demonstrate. And then we reach out to the company to see if they will let us, you know, borrow something. And so for the really sort of fringe, sort of the ones that were like, Oh, this is probably total crap. We don't even pursue it. Interesting. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm interested to get to the melatonin phase of my little personal research experiment, mostly because I already know, having talked to a whole ton of people like you, what the outcome of that is going to be, which is that it's going to have very little uh, impact on my sleep and my sleep quality, because that's not what melatonin's for. Uh, and so I'm interested to actually get data to be able to share with people that go that, so that I can point to it and go, look, here's what happened to me on melatonin. It did nothing. It doesn't work like that. Don't waste your time on it. Get something that is going to work better. Ooh, but hang on. But then you should, you know, consider doing low dose melatonin versus intermediate dose versus high dose because low dose is more selective and might be more effective than higher dose and then timing it like two or three hours before bedtime instead of right before bedtime. And then this extended release melatonin. I mean, you know, yes, you're right. They're not meant to be sleep aids, you know, but for you, you kind of wonder, you get up really early. Are you well, out of phase with your circadian rhythm? And so that's the thing about me in particular is that if I was going to take it like a whole pile of people take it, because you can walk in and you can get, you know, the one gallon jar of melatonin right. pills at Costco and, you know, the, the amount of dosage information and all of that, I mean, is very limited. There is no high dose, low dose option. They all come in this one massive pill and a massive jar full of them. And everybody's going to take them at the same time when they think it's time to go to bed. So that's how I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it like everybody else does it because I, 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 one of the things I want to knock down with this project is the conventional wisdom and the stuff that people put out there on Reddit and Facebook and wherever all the time that it's like, oh, you're having sleep problems. You should smoke a joint. What? No, I shouldn't smoke a joint. That's not going to, it'll help me fall asleep, but it's going to be terrible sleep. What are you doing? Why are you giving this advice out to people? You know, so not that I'm going to start smoking joints before bed, but 
if I can knock down some of the things and maybe encourage people to stop wasting their time by going to Dr. Google and instead go to a sleep lab and learn what actually needs to get done, what the right way is to go about things, and maybe some things that are just not even worth your time to investigate at all. So, so you know what I learned a couple of years ago, or maybe last year, I can't remember now, but nice? at that sleep conference, we heard a basic science person talk about uh, marijuana and sleep. And she figured out that it actually suppresses REM sleep. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I mean, we had Ryan Vandry on, I think about two months ago now, who was talking about how CBD basically does absolutely nothing detectable for your sleep. Nothing at all. It doesn't help. It doesn't hinder. It's just kind of there where we talked about this idea of THC and sleep. And there's all these stories of, yes, it'll help you get to sleep faster, but it screws up all your sleep cycles and messes with your sleep architecture and all of that. And then once you realize that it's not doing anything for you, then you got to come off of the THC or the CBD or whatever. And then that's going to give you rebound insomnia. And so you're just compounding problems and making things so much worse. But if you look on the internet and you see a, a, a subreddit somewhere where they're talking about sleep, one guy will chime in with a, here's, here's the strain of marijuana that I use and it's great. And I swear by it. Well, now 50 people are going to run off and try it. And I'm just like, no, don't do that. But isn't it funny? I mean, and sleep is such an important thing. And and so many people have sleep issues. And I think there's just this idea of, well, everybody has it. It's no big deal. And I don't have to worry about it. Right. Instead of maybe like you're saying to say, no, hang on, you need to embrace this and recognize that this is an issue and then look and see what you can do to change it. Right. So one of the questions I ask when people come with whatever sleep gadget is, um, is I, is I ask, well, what prompted you to start monitoring your sleep? Right. Was it like a Christmas present because you got a fitness tracker and this is just sort of a side thing that you saw or was it intentional? Are you purposely trying to monitor your sleep? And then why are you doing it? Is it because you're worried about snoring and that sort of thing? Is it insomnia? Is it that you're, you know, you, you sleep a long time and you still don't feel rested? Right. Because I think even getting that piece of information really helps, helps you help your patient to go down the right road for what they're looking for. Yeah. And for me, it was my Fitbit data that sent me to Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto to get a sleep test done. And that's where I learned about the periodic limb movement disorder. That's where I learned about the restless leg. That's where I learned all the things because my tracker was telling me that it was taking me three and a half hours in some cases to fall asleep at night. And I was just like, that can't be right. I got to ask a higher power sort of thing. So in that case, you know, orthosomnia is, a, is, is that to an unhealthy degree. If you can find that happy medium between I'm just a terrible sleeper and there's nothing I can do about it. And, and somewhere in the middle, there's I have this device that tells me this and it made me go and talk to my doctor, then I, I feel like we're using these things for the right purpose. Right. Because then it's actionable, right? It's not just noise. It's actionable. Hmm. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, okay. So I got a lot of playing with all these toys to do. I'm tempted one night to uh, put on 
the um the 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 better mm-hmm. and my Fitbit and the headband and just for a couple of nights just compare numbers and see which ones say what just to see um but you know the one thing I do know is that every night for the next I don't know what it's going to be until I'm finished doing all this research whether it's 4 months 6 months however long it's going to take uh, that thing is going to be on my head every night and I have you to thank for it. So oh, that's um, awesome. So, so one of, one of my friends did exactly what you're saying. He put on all these devices and then he was able to pull all of that, you know, that summary of the night in graph form and he compared them all. And so then he could see where he knew he was awake versus, and he compared like, I can't remember Apple to sleep score to this, to that. And we wound up publishing it. And the guy from um, one of the devices reached out to us and he's like, um, I appreciate what you guys have done. Just so you know, they're not meant to be used together because sometimes the signals will compete. Oh. Yeah, I didn't know that either. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then I have an apology to issue to my wife then because um, uh, earlier today she said, can you do that? Are they all, do they all work together? And I did this thing where I looked at her and I went, of course they do, honey. Of course, it'll be fine. Don't worry. Uh, so now I have to go and um, eat some crow. Okay, well, thanks well, for that. I mean, but that would be kind of cool though. I mean, try them all together, try them apart, see what you get. I like this. I like this. Um, this experiment. This will be fun. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for setting me down a path here. And I'm I'm excited to see where all of this leads. And I'm excited to uh, officially, I, I guess we should probably officially announce that where up until recently, um, Michael Grandner was on the show every week, kind of updating us on what the latest things in the sleep world were that caught his attention. Um, Michael and Seema are going to be alternating weeks on the show. So every week, one or the other of them will be on and and kind of fill in the world in on other things that are happening in the sleep world. And I, I'm very, very excited to have you be part of this. Well, thank you. I'm I'm honored. And I don't take that lightly. I mean, this is this is fun for me. And and I really appreciate being in, in Dr. Grandner's shadow. I don't mind that one bit. <laughs> um, before I let you go, tell me quickly about what's going on with your podcast. When is there another episode coming out? When are we going to find it? All those sorts of things. Where do we look for it? Blah, blah, blah. So we just launched season two. It was released today. Um, and we spoke about, um, so we have a lot of really cool topics. And one of them was about the Navy and how they used to have these shifts that were not 24 hour shifts. And the, and the logic was that, well, if you're in a submarine, you don't ever see the sun anyway. Right. So why are you stuck with a 24 hour shift? And so they were doing these like 18 hour shifts and 15 hour sort of cycles. I mean, not shifts. So they would work for like five hours, be off for 10. And so then their circadian rhythm gets completely messed up. So, um, Dr. Nina Shattuck spoke with us about her research and how she really made them recognize the importance of a circadian rhythm. And she got them to go back to a 24 hour cycle, uh, in 2016. Wow. It took that long. That's okay. So that's pretty amazing. Um, where do we find it? Tell for people who don't know what's the show called, where do we look for it? It is called, um, Talking Sleep. It's put out by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Uh, and we're on Podbean. We're on anywhere that you can download a podcast, even Spotify. There you go. Talking Sleep. Yeah. Uh, I, man, I can't thank you enough for doing this. And, and it'll be fun keeping you updated on and off the record about uh, how all, all the fun with these various toys that you've sent me is going. So thank you so much. 
No, I look forward to it. There you go, Dr. Seema Kosla on the Snooze Button Podcast. Remember, on our website, you'll find the show notes, you'll find links to Seema's stuff, you will find links to her podcast, you will find links to uh, Julie Flygar's episode that we will get out for you uh, again as a reminder for World Narcolepsy Day. You'll also find links to support, to rate, to review the show, whatever you want to do as far as that's concerned. All that information waiting for you at thesnoozebutton.com. Until we get together again next week, my name's Neil Headley. Hey, get some sleep, would you? 